right, we want to welcome you all to Wildlife Baptist Church, and thank you for worshiping with us and, and uh, joining us again. I know some of you have made it a regular thing, which is a good thing, uh, especially in this time when everything seems to be always uh, so different every day. So, so we do thank you for, um, for joining us. I um, want to thank our, our worship team, our media team, and everybody who, who comes in during the week to make this all um, to make this all happen. We couldn't do it without them. We're so grateful um, that, that we're able to do this and to be able to bring you our, our worship and our, and our message every week. I want to thank uh, Phil for, for preaching last week and doing such a great job bringing God's word. Uh, I want to remind you, if you go on our website, you can see the sermon notes, you can download the sermon notes, you can also see some discussion questions and we really encourage you, you know, as, you know one of the things about this um, kind of shutdown, lockdown, is that it's given us time for some people that we might not have otherwise had, especially time together with, with family. You know, my three daughters are back, and we've had more family dinners together in the last, you know, couple weeks than, than we've probably had in the last couple years, and that's a great thing. Um, so, the discussion questions is really encourage you to spend some time talking about uh, them with your with your spouse, with your family, um, as you're there together, and continue to think about you know how does God's word uh, apply uh, to our lives. Also, if you want to ask some questions at the end of our message today, uh, you can go onto YouTube into the to the chat box. You can write some there. You can. You can email questions to info at wildlifebaptist.com. Um, you can also put them up on Facebook, and we'll, we'll try to get them and answer them at the, at the end of the service. Well, we're wrapping up our Easter series today, and we've been, we've been um, going through this series of talking about how he loves us. And some of you, some of you English grammars might be asking, like, you know, how he loves us, and then you, then you use an infinitive. You know, why did you use an infinitive? Well, it's because I left out a word, and the word I left out was the word enough. And we're putting that in today, that he loves us. He loves us enough, and we've gone through this list, enough to become like us. He loves us enough to humble himself. He loves us enough to show us who God is. He loves us enough to die for us to give us life, to give us his spirit. And then today we're going to talk about that he loves us enough to use us. And all of these things are, you know, the, 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 the ways that God loves us and he loves us through Jesus Christ, that he loves us so much. And so, you know, one of the things about, about using us, you know, it, it's, it's made me... Um, you know, trying to try to think about you know this whole idea of being used by God, and um, and used for you know His purpose, His glory, and for some of us we kind of resist that idea. You know, we don't want to be used. You know, we want to be able to to do what whatever we want. But I think one of the things that the the coronavirus, this whole pandemic, and everything has shown us is that. Um, is that we need, as society, we need to be told what to do. Um, 
If we had just been left on our own, if you just all had the news that, hey, there's this virus going out and, you know, for certain people, especially elderly people and people with, um, and, you know, with you know, health conditions, that it could be very deadly to them, that if that were the case, and then they just said, hey, just do whatever you think is right, do whatever you think is responsible, well, you know, people would have done all kinds of things. And... Who knows what they would have done. But instead, we've been told what to do. We've been, in some sense, for some people, forced what to do. Uh, we've been, uh, you know, given some direction, sometimes not as much as we'd like, sometimes too much. Um, but it's, it's not just a kind of a totally random thing. You know, we're, we're being told things and, and we're doing them. Uh, and... The thing we need to kind of think about when we think about the message today is to ask ourselves, like, why are we doing them? Why are we doing them? Um, is it because of just an inherent, you know, trust in government that we just trust government so much, we trust, you know, the medical experts, we trust science so much that we just say, okay, then we'll, we'll do it. You know, they said it, we'll do it. Well, some people are that way. Some people trust their leaders or officials so much that they just do it. Even then, are some people doing things just out of, say, self-preservation? They're doing it to simply protect themselves or perhaps to, to help those who are closest to them, like, say, their, their family. And some people are doing that. Some people are doing, doing it out of, you know, care for my own and care for myself. Some might be thinking about the more vulnerable and weak in our society, and they may be doing it for that reason. Um, they, they could be doing it for so many different reasons that they're, they're acting or not acting. They could be doing it because they're thinking about their own livelihood, they're thinking about economy, they're thinking about, you know, um, you know, democracy, all of these things. And so people are acting and following what the leaders are saying or not and doing their own thing but they're all doing it because of something. There's a reason that they're doing it. Um, and, you know, I, I think, you know, you can come down to, like, if we think about the best reasons, right, the, the reasons that most people would say, ah, let's not argue with that. You know, the reasons might be, like, life, which, you know, obviously is, is hugely important, right? So life, and then, and then liberty, you know, something that we're not we haven't really thought about, especially in the United States, but now we're thinking about because a lot of things that we had taken for granted as liberty is, they're not available anymore. And then the last one is, is our livelihoods. You know, not everybody has been imp impacted yet, but as you can see, both in Hawaii and in the United States, unemployment is at, you know, historic highs. And so if we have these three things, life, liberty, and livelihood. Think about if those were the three main motivating things of why people did things. And if we didn't have direction, if we weren't told what to do, what do you think would result? Well, probably, you know, one of two things would result. Humanity left on its own. One of two things typically results. Either some increasing, like, totalitarian, authoritarian, you will do this, Will, will emerge where, you know, 
some group will force everybody else to do whatever they, they, they think they should do. Or you have the opposite. You have anarchy. Everybody just does whatever they want. And so what, what we see from this is that humanity, we, we need direction. We need direction. Um, and in fact, we need it so much that we will eventually follow someone or we will eventually follow something, some idea. We, we, we need it. We, you know, anybody who says, I'm my own man, I'm my own woman, I just, I just do what I want, they're, they're not telling you the truth. They're being directed or guided. They're following someone. You know, as the Bible tells us, there's nothing, nothing new under the sun. That, that, you know, anybody who thinks I'm the first one who thinks this is the way I should live, they're, they're not the first one. And so we, we follow someone. We need direction, even if we sometimes think that we're just doing this all on our own. And so as we come to this, to this um, passage of scripture today that we're going to look at, you know, that's what we need to, to keep in mind. Because the way this scripture ends is with the words, follow me, follow me. And we're going to talk more about that in, in a second. But this is the story of Jesus um, some, you know, sometime after he's resurrected and, and he's, he's appeared to the disciples several times. And then we have this kind of unusual story. He's on the beach. And in fact, we even have Jesus helping to make breakfast. Um, some of his disciples are out there on the water. And you know, when he first comes, they don't know exactly who he is. But there he is. He, he's, he's on the beach. He shows up on the beach. And, and they, they get together, they, they, they talk, and then Jesus has this really important conversation, this, this crucial important, you know, conversation. And it's not just for the benefit of the one who he's talking with, who is Peter, but it's for all of us that this story is recorded for a reason. John tells us this story and he tells it in a particular way. For this, for this reason, that, that, that we are going to see something about who Jesus is, what he came to do, and then what he wants to do with us. And so here they are. They've, you know, the, some of the disciples have been fishing. They see Jesus on the shore. They come to the shore. And now here they are after having had, had some breakfast. Jesus starts talking to Peter. So we go to John 21, verses 15 through 19. And it says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So I have this, this very personal story. And most of us know the backstory. We know Peter. Peter was always kind of, you know, he's always pictured as being very strong physically and very, you know, strong even emotionally and, and very aggressive. And, and his, you know, he had in his mind, you know, who, you know, who Jesus was and, and what Jesus came to do. And, and, I, and I think, you know, he, he, ex- he accepted it and he's like, yeah, and I'm going to be the guy that's there by Jesus' side. I'm going to be the guy that protects him. I don't have to have, you know, any kind of accolades or anything, but I'm going to take care of Jesus. I'm going to make sure Jesus gets his job done. And Peter has this attitude. And he believes it so much that he's even willing to, to, to go against what Jesus is saying so that Jesus can get the job done. It's... I think in Peter's mind, at some points, he's thinking like, I have to protect Jesus from himself. You know, Jesus is his own worst enemy. Jesus is, is getting in his own way instead of doing, you know, what he should do and, and you, know, you know, helping the people rise up and overthrow the Romans and, and all, that, that we need this. And so, and so this is Peter. And we have Jesus on a couple of occasions kind of rebuking him and then ultimately telling him, you're going to deny me. You're going to deny me three times. And, and we know that after Jesus is arrested, we, we read in the story this kind of side story of, of Peter. He kind of follows along and then he's there in the courtyard and he's confronted three times at being called a follower of Christ and and he denies him three times. And so we know Peter is, is crushed. We know that Peter is, has, has realized so many things that he thought were right are just, just wrong. They, they weren't even close. And, and, and he knows personally he's let himself down and he feels like he's let Jesus down. And so we have Peter there at the tomb. We have Peter in the upper room. We have Jesus encountering Peter in in different places. But this conversation that needed to take place hadn't taken place yet. And you always got to wonder what was going on in, in Peter's heart and in his mind. He's on one hand, I'm sure, just overjoyed that Jesus did what he said he did. We said he would do. He, he, he came back. He resurrected. He conquered sin and death. He did all of it. And, and, and that they were, they, were, they were, I'm sure he was just like just so happy, so joyous. But at the same time, there was this, there was this regret. There was this pride that he had, he had not even perhaps known was there. He thought it wasn't pride. He thought it was, I'm helping Jesus. 
He thought it was, I'm protecting Jesus. He thought it was, I'm helping Jesus, you know, accomplish his mission. He thought it was all of those things, and that's what he was trusting in. He still wasn't trusting in Jesus. And the evidence he wasn't trusting in Jesus is because he really wasn't listening to Jesus. He still wanted to, to, to help Jesus, but he wanted to help Jesus on his own terms. He wanted to do it his way. And now he sees how wrong that was. And he's hurt. He's broken. He doesn't, he doesn't know, like, you know, what, you know what's, what's next. You know, you know, Jesus was right. I'm pretty useless. I trust too much in my own abilities. I, I speak first, you know, or act first, speak first, think later. He probably understood all of this. And he probably felt a lot like we would have felt. Like, uh, you know, okay, I'm so happy Jesus has done what he's done, but I've kind of lost my place. And it, it's kind of nice about this story that sometimes we don't think about is, is that this story kind of bookends with the first chapter. In the first chapter, we have the story of, of Jesus, okay, called the Word. The Word coming to us. Remember, that was our first, our first um, message in this series, that he comes to us. And what I like about this story is that Peter had probably multiple opportunities to come up to Jesus and say, uh, Jesus, you know, you're right about that, about me denying. You're right about so many things that I just missed. I'm so sorry. Can you forgive me? Peter had multiple opportunities to do it, and he didn't do it. But in this story, we see the bookend from the beginning where Jesus comes to, comes to earth. He comes to dwell with us. We see here, Jesus comes to Peter. He goes to Peter. He doesn't wait for Peter to feel so sorry, so overwhelmed with grief that he comes to him. Jesus goes to Peter. And remember, that's what, that's what God's love does. God's love moves toward the one who is loved. And that's what, that's what Jesus does here. Jesus is also showing us how important reconciliation is. You know, Jesus could have just taken off. Jesus could have had somebody else do what Peter did. There's so many uh, things that could, have, that could have taken place. But reconciliation is so important that we get it modeled for us by Jesus. Jesus shows us it is so important that I'm going to put one of the most important reconciliations. I'm going to put it Right here in the Word of God, you can see it. And so we, we, we come here to this, this story, and, and we need to see more than just um, here's the story of this kind of individual relationship between Jesus and, and Peter. Sure, that's all taking place. But there's so much more that Jesus is showing us. And we get the interchange. You know, the interchange is Jesus asking the question, do you love me? And then the response, feed my, feed my lambs. And it, it goes back and forth like that. And he does it three times. And a lot of people think, and I agree, that he does it three times because, because Peter denies him three times. But there's been a lot of, like, 
ink spilled. There's been a lot of discussion about, you know, why does he say, it, you know, love and feed my sheep? Why does he say that? You know, what does that all mean? And then they, people try to get the, the distinction between feed my lambs, you know, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. And even if you look in the Greek, the word love, it's, it's two different words are used here. There's phileo and agape. There's two different words for love that are used here. And, and you know, a lot of people have tried to, you know, make a lot about, out, of those, out of those words love. I don't think we need to overcomplicate this. I think what Jesus is doing is he's, he's, he's helping Peter by, by, first of all, coming to him and asking this, this question. But he's also helping Peter confront like the, the, the problem in his life. That the problem in his life is the trust in his own ability. And even here, it's going to be in the trust in his own love. He's going to trust in his, in his, his ability to love. And Jesus is asking him multiple times to help him kind of work to that point. And so the first thing that I get from this when I read this is that not so much about Peter's love for Jesus, but Jesus' love for Peter. That Jesus loves Peter even when he failed. And I think the same is true for us. Jesus loves us even when we fail. That's what unconditional love means. I mean, Peter had denied him. Peter had tried to stand in his way. And now here's Peter who's failed. And Jesus still loves him. Peter had trusted in his own strength. In the garden, you know, he, he kind of just, you know, takes out his, his sword. And it's not even a, a legit sword. And, you know, the way that it's kind of described, it's, it's pretty short. And he was going to take on all these guards with just like a tiny little sword. But he was so trusting in his own abilities. Maybe he expected all the other disciples to you know, do the same thing, or maybe Jesus was going to do something, or there was a crowd hiding, you know, in the garden, and they were all going to jump out. Who knows what was in his mind? But he had trusted in his own strength. He had said, this is what I will do. This is what I can do, even so much as cutting off the ear of, of one of the ones who had come to arrest him, come to arrest Jesus. He had trusted in his own understanding, and now he's just confused. Jesus isn't who he thought he was. And ultimately, Peter is failure is that Peter didn't really trust Jesus. And the reason he couldn't really trust Jesus is because he didn't really know Jesus. He thought he knew him, but he really didn't know him. And because he really didn't know him, he really couldn't trust him. And, you know, one of the important points that I get from this and I'm going to tell you this is for some of you for some of you this is like the most freeing statement as a Christian that that you can hear and that is this Jesus's love is not based on our perfection it's based on his perfection 
God's love is not based on our perfection. It's based on his perfection. You get that? Let me personalize it more, direct it more. God's love is not based on your perfection. Not based on my perfection. It's based on his perfection. There's so many people who drive themselves crazy. And I mean well-meaning people who really want to serve God. And they think it all depends on how, how good and how perfect they can be. That somehow God can't use them unless they are perfect. And a lot of them just end up burning out. A lot of them end up giving up. You just can't possibly be perfect. And you can't possibly hold yourself to that standard all the time. And yet there's so many, again, well-meaning Christians who are that way. It works the other way too, where, where they, some people just do the opposite. They just give up. They go like, well, God can't love me. God can't love me. He doesn't, he doesn't know what I've done. He doesn't know what's in my heart and what's in my mind. He can't possibly love me. Remember, God's love is not based on your perfection, not based on your goodness. God's love is based on his perfection. In the same way, what we see is Jesus is not just saying, do you love me? He's then giving him something to do. And he's telling him, feed my lambs, tend my sheep. He's telling him, I got a job for you. You want to really prove your love for me? I got a job for you. You need to do the job. Here's the job. And it's not about you proving it to me. Jesus knew. It's about you really understanding. You proving it to yourself. Peter is about to face some incredible challenges much more difficult challenges than being in a courtyard with some servant girl asking him, aren't you a follower of this Jesus guy? No, he's going to face so much more. And it's coming, and it's coming soon. It's not coming like years from now for him to prepare. It's coming in the next few months, next few weeks. Jesus is saying, I got a job for you. And to me, that's what's, again, so awesome about it, is that Jesus will use us even when we fail. He doesn't just love us when we fail. He'll still use us when we fail. As Paul will, will write in, in 2 Corinthians, that in our weakness, he is strong. In, in fact, you know, what Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, he says, how many of you are smart? How many of you are powerful? Not very many. He's basically telling the church, you know, we're, we're kind of like the dumb. We're not the best and the brightest. We're like the worst and the dullest. But he says, that's God's plan. That's God's plan. God takes our weakness he takes our failures. He takes our shortcomings. And he displays his power. Because then we know it's not us. 
We know it's not just how articulate we are or how smart we are or how talented we are. Not that there's anything wrong with those things, by the way. But he says, you want to see my power? Watch how I work through the inarticulate person. Watch how I work through the person who's not as talented, who doesn't have all the the stuff. Watch me work. And so God's, this, God's power is, is on a greater display when he uses the weak. And so if you see where Peter is, totally crushed, and where he's going to be in just a few weeks, this powerful leader of the church, you know it's God. He couldn't have gone to enough leadership training seminars to develop this. He couldn't have gone to boot camp or you know, officer's training to somehow learn to, to do all the things he's going to have to do in just a matter of a few weeks. No, it's an incredible display of God's power. Sometime when you get a chance, read about just Peter in the book of Acts and look at Peter in the Gospels, especially near the end of Jesus' life. It's amazing. Radical change. See, he, just like he loves us, not because of our perfection, he will use us not because of our perfection. He will use us because of his perfection, because of his power. Again, that should be so freeing for some of us. There's a lot of people that think like, oh, God cannot use me. I, I, I got nothing to offer. I, I don't have money. I don't have abilities. I'm not that smart. I don't have influence. God can't possibly use me. What are you saying about God? Is he omnipotent? If he's omnipotent, he can use the weakest of his creation to do the most powerful thing. It's not about our perfection. It's not about our power. It's not about our strength. It's about his perfection. It's about his power. And again, that should be so empowering to you. It should be something that, that, that's like, this is awesome. It's not about me. And that God is going to do so much more with whatever I bring. That he can take it and he can multiply it. So important. Well, we also see something that's happening to Peter. We see down in, um, you know, where he kind of gets a little exasperated and he's like, you know, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And we don't get enough, like, you know, background to know how he says it, but you've got to know that he's, he's exasperated, he's frustrated, he's confused, he doesn't know why Jesus is asking him these things and, and, and all. And, you know, he, th- he probably thought once was enough, two was okay, but three times you're asking me, that's way too much, you're going overboard now, Jesus. But he's so, he's, he's so sincere because he's so broken. And that's one of the things we see about Peter. It's one of the things we see is that, is that because he now has humility, 
he can now be used greatly by God. See, when we're humbled, that's when we can be of most use to Jesus. If we're trusting in our own power, we're trusting in our own resources, trusting in our own talent, we can still be used. It's, you know, especially if we're, you know, if we have those things, God can still use them. But the greatest use we can be to God is when we're humble. Humble, again, doesn't mean looking down on yourself. It doesn't mean like saying, I, I, I got nothing. No. It just means not trusting in it. It's not trusting in, in, in my abilities. It's not trusting in, in my intelligence. It's not trusting in my resources. Those things are there, and God, they're available for God to use, and God can and will use them. But I come humble, knowing that he can do so much more with them than what I could do just on my own. So proud Peter, he's pretty useless to God. And proud Peter thinks he's so useful. You know, he's the, I'll do anything for you, Jesus. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll be the first guy to, you know, you know, you know bring you uh, something to wash your feet. I'll, you know, I'll do everything. I'll do everything, you know, for you. But he's doing it all for himself. But humble Peter, humble Peter becomes the leader of the Jerusalem church. Humble Peter becomes like a legend. He becomes the, the one that, that we look to as one of the foremost Christians in the first century. That's humble Peter. Proud Peter? Uh-uh. Jesus has no real use for him. His use is limited to what his own little sword could do. Oh, but humble Peter? He helped take the gospel and spread it across the known world. Pretty amazing. And this, this passage ends with the word, follow me. And I have to tell you this. This isn't magic stuff. It isn't I just sit around and, and God magically uses me. It isn't, you know, I just, um, you know, sit around and all of a sudden I have ideas and abilities. No. I'm not going to deny that for some people that, that, that happens. God might work that way. But those two words he says in verse 19, follow me. Follow me. Those two words mean so much more than just simply following Jesus. What Jesus was doing was he was, in those two words, reinstating Peter as one of his disciples. The ultimate outcome of reconciliation wasn't just so that Peter's feelings weren't hurt anymore or so that he felt like, hey, Jesus, you and I, we're good, right? No, it wasn't that. It was that, G that Peter would be fully restored as one of Jesus' disciples. And let me just tell you, in the church, one of the, one of the biggest, and, I, and, and I, I don't like to say the biggest because I've not done a survey, so I don't know if it's the biggest, but one of the biggest problems we have in the modern church 
is we have decided that discipleship, being a disciple, is optional. That all you really have to be is a believer. If you're a believer, great. That's all you have to be. And yet the New Testament is full of telling us we need to be disciples. Following Jesus, what that was was an invitation to Peter to you know, join that, that school of disciples that followed Jesus around. And why did they follow him around? They weren't his entourage. They weren't just following around, you know, just to get free stuff. They followed him because they were learning from him. He was teaching them. He was showing them the things that he was teaching them, how, to, how they come out in life. Follow me is an invitation to be a disciple. When we say we follow Jesus, we are saying we are disciples. And yet, discipleship, being a disciple, has just been kind of put in the side. God wants to use us. He loves us so much he wants to use us. But he also wants to prepare us. And the preparation comes from being a disciple. Because disciple has those two words, those two meanings. It has the idea of following, but it also has that idea of learning. And so we follow Jesus. We learn. We learn and we, and we do. We live the way that that Jesus lives. We go where Jesus would have us go. And so this, this two words, follow me, are so important, so powerful. Because Peter knows Jesus has, has, has made the relationship not just whole, he's made it better. But there's a reason and again, you have that question, do you love me? And whenever Peter would say, I do, well, take care of my sheep, take care of my lambs. You see, the reason Jesus uses us is he uses us to help others and to really to help other Christians first, but to help other Christians so that we can help others. It's, it's this, we're being equipped we're being discipled so that we can help others we can equip and disciple others so that they can go and help others and it passes down not just generation to generation it it, it spreads throughout our church it spreads through throughout our our community when we really understand that we are called to be disciples of christ not just believers in christ then, then, then I think we, we get it because a discipler, someone who is being discipled, will at some point in time begin to disciple others, begin to teach others, begin to help others. But once we lost discipleship as being a key component, as a matter of fact, to me, it's the most important word that we have. Once we lost that from the church and it just was put on the side as kind of an optional for special Christians. Once that happened, that whole process of disciples discipling others, it, it broke down. And our churches are weak because of it. But Jesus doesn't just want to use us to use us. 
He uses us so that we can help others. And this is how you know you're, you're like a, a follower of Christ. This is how you really know you have the Holy Spirit. When I say that Jesus loves us enough to use us, you see that as an honor. You see that as a privilege. You see that as a responsibility. You don't see it as like, oh, you know, why I got to do anything? Why can't I just, you know, just do my own thing and just, you know, come to church and, you know, sing a few songs, put some money in the offering? Why can't I just live my life? Why, why does Jesus leave, why doesn't Jesus leave me alone? And it's because he loves you. He loves you. And when he empowers you and he equips you to be used, it's because he knows that's the highest way you can live. That's the highest joy you can know. Because you will be living out the purpose that he, that he designed for you. It's an honor and a privilege. And he loves us so much. So as we come to like the, the, the end of this series, uh, you know, I encourage you, you know, look back over at, at, at how much God loves us and the ways that he loves us. And, and I would pray that, that, that you, would, you would know that this is just like, we're just talking about the surface. We haven't even gone really deep into understanding this more. But that would be something that you would continue to do. You would continue to, to, to want to know more, not just about how God loves us, but why he loves us. What is he preparing us to do? What is he calling us to do?